sisters, join the resistance. Come on, let's start by talking tactics. Have a pass and match us. Here's how we practice. The last order conversation. David Jason. Hey, everybody, welcome to Pop Culture Continuum. This is John Elliott. And this is Patrick Riccardi. And this week we're doing. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles versus Home for the Holidays. Literally the only two Thanksgiving-themed movies that I know of. There has to be a horror Thanksgiving movie. I don't know. You know, there was that fake one with the uh, the fake trailer that came with the um, the Tarantino Death Proof and Robert Rodriguez or what, whoever. No, it was, it was both Tarantino, right? I can't remember. I Death Proof and whatever the fuck it was. That double feature grindhouse thing they did um, where they did a bunch of fake trailers for movies and one of them was Thanksgiving, but I don't know of any. Yeah, there's got to be some really low budget one, I would think. I just looked it up. Yes. It's called Thanks Killing. Thanks Killing. That was the trailer. Oh, was it? I'm just, I just looked it up. This is the first thing that popped up on IMDb and it stars Wanda Lust. Oh, that sounds like a high-quality uh, product. Oh, no, it's a real movie because she was also, in one of her films was also Thanksgiving Part, Thanksgiving part 3. All right. In Thanksgiving Part 1, she played the naked pilgrim. In Thanksgiving Part 3, she played the naked astronaut. Thanksgiving. So be... I'm going to, all right, I'll, wait, let me try to guess the year on Thanksgiving. I, I probably totally get this wrong, but uh, 85. Not, not even close. 2009. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Thanksgiving Part 3 was was in 85, though. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, these, these ones are, are not, uh, well, I mean, they're kind of horror shows, but in different ways. <laughs> no, I just, I, I just figured that any... Oh, anyway, the storyline for Thanksgiving is homicidal turkey axes off college kids during Thanksgiving break. Wait, but a was, homicidal turkey? Yes. It, so it's, he the uses an revenge. axe. Yes. And the, the the box has a really really scary looking turkey, and it says, "Gobble gobble 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 mother," and then it has like the little curse sign symbols F, curse sign symbols R E R. What? Why would a all right? Why would a turkey that wants to get revenge take it out on college students who, at no point in their lives, cooked turkey for dinner? Like it was always <laughs> their parents. It's just so that you know what you're getting a hold of. The the box at the top says warning three exclamation point boobs in the first second in the first second and well, the in the bottom says the ultimate low budget experience a killer turkey horror comedy the i think when something's a, advertised as a horror comedy it's neither no you're you're absolutely right i mean it obviously sounds like a a ploy to be uh ironic and and cheesy and kind of making fun of b-grade horror movies but i i shan't be watching Thanks, killing. I don't think. I I would say planes, changing the automobiles, and home for the holidays are better than Thanks, killing. Yeah, I, I think so. Without having seen it. Um. Yeah. I, what's going on with you? I just got back from Vegas. How was it? You, it's you know I, two and a half days. That's that's about the limit of time i can spend in vegas do you think anyone ever spends more than two and a half days in vegas it seems like that's the limit for anyone i think it, it's got to be um i think maybe you go clinically insane if you spend longer but it yeah it's it's all right you know it's 
kind of everything that is bad about America rolled up into one uh, strip. But yeah, you know, it's like what at night on the weekend nights when you're walking around, it's like the douchiest place on earth. Just the number of uh, baseball caps with goatees alone. But yeah, it, wait, it, the baseball cap has a goatee on it. Well, the really douchey ones do, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of like if uh, if Guy Fieri and Fred Durst somehow merged into one person, it would be like being inside that person's brain. That's what it feels like walking down the strip on a weekend night. It's yeah, it's it's you know it's fun but also depressing. I don't think I would have guessed that the, the weekend night crowd is how you're describing it i'm a little surprised by that like they're they're frat boy kind of front kind of thing oh yeah like just walking down the strip yeah huh i had no idea i thought it would just yeah yeah i'm just surprised by that there was also some kind of cowboy convention in town which and that's I, why you were there that's well that was one reason uh yeah i i don't i couldn't figure out what it was i think it was at the uh, shit. I can't even remember what hotel it was at. Whatever hotel has uh, the Beatles love, I think that's where the convention was taking place. But there were like cowboy hats everywhere. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what a cow what they do at a cowboy convention. Come up with uh, ways Cowgirls. to excuse. I guess I was gonna say come up with ways to excuse uh, the police brutality against black men. Why would cowboys do that? I don't know. Oh, because they're against the Indians. In any case, that was uh, that was my week. So it was. Uh, Did you win? That's the important question. No, of course not. Uh, when I used to go to Vegas, I would play craps, and uh, that's that's the game to win on. Now I'm a little too cautious with my money uh, for craps, so I was playing penny slots. So you're never gonna you're never gonna win on penny slots. No, but you never lose either. It's no, like, it's true. It's true. You have free drinks delivered to you, and you get to play this little game where it beeps and boops at you. So that's fun. It does, and and it eats up time. Like you yeah. can pay, play penny slots for a long time on a little amount of money. So, you know, I, I, I just consider it entertainment rather than gambling. I mean, it is throwing money away, but yeah, but you're not. It's not like you're expecting much from it. Right, right. Yeah, it's not like a twenty dollar minimum bet on the craps table every time. And so. That's how much it is, man. I don't I've know never... if that's how much it is. That's how much I always did. It might be like five bucks. Who who knows? It's been so long since I played. I well, the casinos here are a little different. They don't have as many cheap tables, so they don't have a five dollar table for blackjack or craps or anything. So I've I've never actually played a, a table game. The one time I went to Vegas, I learned how to play craps hours before we left, which didn't do me any good. So I've never I've never done those expensive games, but it's, I'm just too too chintzy to do it yeah yeah same here i mean if i it would be nice to go to vegas with a lot of disposable income Mm -hmm. but that's never happened for me i know some people go with like the thought in mind that this like five hundred dollars is going to be spent for gambling if it goes away it goes away that's entertainment i just have never gone with that mindset maybe some that's usually how i go um maybe not quite five hundred dollars but um but yeah well the thing about vegas now is um is also uh, I, we I, we've probably talked about it in private, but back in the day, it used to be you used to be able to go to Vegas and you could eat on the cheap like everywhere. 
it was all about getting you into the gambling. Like you could get cheap hotel rooms and really cheap food. And now, and now even the food everywhere is expensive, you know? That's weird. I, I guess they're doing well enough that they can do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they always were doing well enough, but I think it was an extra enticement, you know, mm-hmm. to, to just, uh, offer, you know, whatever prime rib for $5 or whatever. Uh, and now they like, don't have those like shrimp cocktails for $2 and, I mean, they probably do at some like off-brand casinos, right? But not the. But on the strip, yeah. I guess the corporate the corporate ownership kind of snuffs that stuff out. Yeah, yeah. They've done they've done the math and they found out that it doesn't work as well as the the former owners thought it did. Yeah, I would think so. It's it's weird how how much the strip has changed. You know, we I think we talked about it a little bit on our on our uh, Ocean's Eleven episode. Right. Yeah. But just even since I've been going like when i see the flamingo it it reminds me of the uh the video u2's video for i still haven't found what i'm looking for and i'm like oh shit has this casino been here at least since 87 that's a rarity Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of those are are way newer but um yeah it's a it's a nice slash shitty holiday it's kind of did you go to that restaurant that david introduced us to that's in the strip mall is the best thai food anywhere was it thai food i think yeah Yeah, it's thai food i didn't go because we we didn't have a car and i wasn't gonna take a cab just to oh, go okay there. we stayed on the strip uh that is a good that time place place, was good yeah. yeah anyway uh planes trains and automobiles speaking of travel from 87 i would have liked to take a plane or a train there uh, we got delayed for a long ass time in LA. Really? Because of weather. That's... Yeah. So, do you usually have a, a you don't usually have a, a one way to Vegas? It usually goes to LA. No, it's usually one way. This one, okay. for whatever reason, stopped in LA. Um, like our flight home was direct, because it's only like an hour flight anyway from Oakland. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was weird that it was a LA stopover. Although uh, Morgan Spurlock was on our plane from LA to Vegas. The uh, really yeah That's in first class. Though Southwest, there was no first class. Wow. I guess his his uh, movies aren't making so much money anymore. Actually, why would you fly first class from LA to Vegas? It's like a forty minute plane ride. Well, rich people. Oh, that's true. They just fly up in the cockpit. I think rich people. But I I I didn't live in LA. I lived in Santa Barbara. But I still, when I, I went to Vegas a few times, and I think I flew once, but usually I did the math, and it wasn't worth it to fly. No, it's, it's better to drive from down there, I feel like. From Oakland, not so much, because it's no, a nine-hour drive. drive. But Because by the time you're done waiting for check-in and going through all the, the hassle of, of, of doing all that, you're in Vegas. So right. And it's, it's a beautiful drive, too, even though it's kind of scary. Yeah, from Oakland, that doesn't make any sense. I guess you could go to Reno, but I don't think Reno's as good as Vegas. I've never been to Reno, so I can't say that for a fact. It is a beautiful drive. Nothing nicer than uh, Barstow. <sighs> you know, well, once you get past Barstow, and it's all really neat desert and cacti. Uh, yeah, planes, trains, and automobiles. Uh, John Hughes movie. The best John Hughes movie, as we mentioned on our on our last episode, I think. Yeah, it's close to Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but not that close, because I think this is a better... I think Ferris Bueller's Day Off might be more fun, but I think this is a better movie. So you'd still put Ferris Bueller above Curly Sue. That's interesting. Well, there was the incident. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I loved 16 Candles as a youth. Watching it now, it's, it's you know, the Long Duck Dong thing is shockingly racist, so it's a little that's a little hard to get over. 
I have not seen any of the famous John Hughes movies, like the famous teen. Yo, you haven't seen like Breakfast Club or? No. I don't consider Ferris Bueller as a part of that group, even though I guess it is. Excuse me. I I just consider Ferris Bueller to stand apart from those movies. And I think it stands up a lot better than those movies, even though I have not seen them. Well, you should check out 16 Candles at least. Um, Breakfast Club does not, I don't think it works unless you're like 15, 16. Um, but but yeah, this one's this one's his best for sure, and uh, and I don't know. You want to give a quick plot synopsis for people in case they don't know this by uh, some I, miracle? Oh, well, I guess it's pretty easy. Two two guys, two strangers meet up on a plane that gets uh, stopped when they're trying to go to Chicago, and they they use other modes of transport to get there. Yeah. Hilarity ensues. It's a it's a road trip movie basically, mm-hmm. trying to get home for Thanksgiving. Um, and Steve Martin and John Candy, as we said previously, John Candy has never done anything uh, even close to this in the rest of his film career. Yeah, I don't think so. And really, Steve might be Steve Martin's best movie, too. Yeah, well, uh, if you look at the IMDb trivia, they say this is both of their favorite movies of their of theirs. I could see it. The, uh, the acting's really good. Like, Steve Martin's um, reactions... Are just really, really good. Just even just his facial expressions. Yeah. Not to and mention his line readings. What's great is uh, both their characters are written and they are acted in such a way that they they go up to the point where they're ridiculous but never get there. Yes, exactly. And and uh, John Candy plays a you know Steve Martin. I don't even know that you could necessarily call him uptight. I guess he's a little bit uptight, but John Candy's character is so annoying. You can see why he would he would be turned off by him. Right. But I think what other movies that have this kind of, this, this kind of chemistry with the annoying guy and the regular guy, they usually take it so far where by the time the movie's over, you can't understand why the annoying guy is still friends or friendly with the, with the regular guy. But in this movie, it's, it's totally understandable. Right. Cause John Candy has some heart too. He yeah. has some heart. And the, there's a scene right in the middle. I mean, right at the start of the movie where they first start getting together and, and, and Steve Martin just rips into John Candy. And I think in a typical comedy film, it would be just a back and forth where John Candy rips back into him. And But in this movie, John Candy's like, you can insult me all you want, but I know my wife likes me. It's just, it's just like, it takes the insults where you're kind of laughing at the stuff he's saying and it, it points out they're really insulting. <laughs> Yeah, no, it it does. Yeah, and you kind of then you kind of turn around to be on John Candy's side. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that was that was good. I remember Steve Martin some of his complaints. Everything's not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. <laughs> That's definitely funny. But as as the more he says, the more the 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 heartbreaking. You can see John Candy's heartbreaking as as the insults go through, and his response is just so spot on. It's just. It, it's what makes this movie different than other road trip movies, other other movies of this type. Other, yeah, mismatched buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I was surprised at how funny it still is. Like it holds up. I mean, there's some there's some dumb slapstick jokes, but for the most part, it's it's really it's really humorous. Like it it would work today if it was made. I think so, and even the dumb slapstick stuff makes you laugh. It's Years Some later, of it, like, a, a couple of it made me, a couple of them made me groan. But yeah, I'm thinking of the dog, the dog scene. They're they're in the back of the truck, and then there's a dog oh, there. Oh, yeah. And then by the end of the trip, they're all like they're 
because they're in the back of the truck doing a terrible snowstorm. By the end of the trip, all their faces are frozen, even the dogs. Yeah. And it's a dumb joke, but it made me laugh. No, that's funny. And I'm thinking more of the the kind of even hacky-ish humor, like the, those aren't pillows, although still funny. <laughs> no, that one, you're going to have to bring up something else for me to agree with that complaint, because that's just such a, such a silly, dumb, dumb joke. And it, I don't think they take it in any I mean spirited way. It's just like... It's just a weird scene. It is. And I like the I like that uh I think this movie is probably rated PG. I didn't even check. Um but I like that there is a lot of cussing in it too. Like it's another thing missing from today's movie. You know, I like the cussing. Uh I can't I can't I this had to be PG thirteen. Yeah, maybe so. It wasn't R though, definitely. No, I don't but that just from the, the rental the famous rental car scene. I just think it has I'm I'm not sure, but I, I have to think it would be PG. Yeah, that I mean, I mean PG thirteen. That was great with Edie McClurg. Yes, and, and I I wrote down well the beginning of his line. She's like, "Can I help you, sir?" And he's like, "You can start by wiping that fucking dumbass smile off your fucking cheeks," <laughs> and then it's just fucking 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 for a minute. Yeah. No, it was R. It was R. Oh, it was R. Yeah. Oh, surprising. Yeah, it's surprising that they would actually do that because not as many people could go see it. And surprising, I'm sure I saw this at that age. Well, as I said, I back then it, it was it so much deserve. easier. Yeah, no, it definitely doesn't. It's got to just be for language. Well, yeah, but I think that's that's the story. That if you use the F word, you're going to get an R no matter if what. If you use it more than a certain number of times, like two or something, I think, yeah. Well, they, they hit that. Yeah, they hit that in Steve Martin's speech about a hundred times, so... <laughs> Oh, and there's a definite link between these two movies, aside from trying to float along and uh, the fact that it's Thanksgiving, is that the daughter, Steve Morton's daughter, also played uh, Joanne's daughter in Home for the Holidays. That's what I was wondering. It was the same. Well, she time-traveled because this was 10 years later. Oh, that's true. It it looked like the exact same. Girl looks so similar. Girl, right? Yeah. had to check and it was i forgot how how long the two movies were apart but this girl looks so much like her yeah it's eight eight years apart i guess yeah that's true it couldn't have been her it it she was eerily similar though i guess that was a type for uh thanksgiving holiday movie daughters yeah yeah all the thanksgiving holiday movie daughters look like her uh, there were some good uh, uh some cameos in this that i forgot about too like kevin bacon he's just in it for like a second yeah, I always remember that because it's such a. When I was a kid, I thought that was such an odd cameo. He didn't even have a speaking part. Nope, he was just an asshole. <laughs> Which you well, could tell because he ran his fingers through his hair as he was getting into the cab. <laughs> I don't know if that makes him an asshole. They were both going after the same cab. Now the guy that that charged Steve Martin a hundred dollars for the use of his cab, he was an asshole. Yes, true. <laughs> and and uh, who else? Uh, ben Stein. Edie, yeah, Edie McClurg. We already mentioned uh, Michael McKean. What'd you say? Uh, Michael McKean. Yeah, yeah, Michael McKean. William Wyndham. You know, uh, who's William Wyndham? He's the oh, old, he played the 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 slow thinking boss. Oh right, they're all waiting around to get out of there. Yeah, I couldn't tell what he. I assumed it was some kind of advertising agency or something he worked at, because it looked like the boss was looking at some some mock-up, some art yeah. mock-up or something. So, uh, Well, he said in the movie he was marketing. Mark, okay, there you go. Yeah, it was, there was 
funny lines throughout it. <laughs> I think when they were in the truck, uh, Steve Martin says, I'll, I'll do both lines, Steve Martin's question and John Candy's answer. Um, but I just, and I'll tell you why I thought it's funny. What do you figure the temperature is? I'm the same thing I was going to say. That's the same thing I was going to say. Because the funny thing about it, too, is that he doesn't even say one degree or anything. No, it's, it's just, just one. one. <laughs> I cracked my ass up. <laughs> it's, and everything about john candy's great in this movie he he some i think in the in the 80s sometimes he went overboard he didn't go overboard in this and he had that 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 just that positive vibe throughout the movie he's just a great character Doug uh, he, or, yeah, an Doug. annoying an annoying guy who you can't help but love yeah very right. hard to pull off i feel like uh for an actor and then after you're annoyed for a little bit, you ask yourself, why would that be annoying? Who cares? Who cares if he takes his shoes off? Right. I, it must be so. It must be so swell to be so perfect and and odor free. <laughs> so many great lines. And uh, the scene that that stuck with me when I was a kid is because it was for me it was risque. It was the in the bus where the. the the girl and the guy are making out and Steve Martin's looking <laughs> and the girl's eyes open and he looks away and then the, the, the boy, the guy looks up and says, take a picture of last longer. <laughs> and now what joy that gave John Candy. <laughs> gotcha. Well, yeah, there were even, even the, there was some risque stuff. Cause I remember when, uh, Steve Martin or John Candy was telling Steve Martin what annoyed him about, uh, about Steve Martin's character. Um, and he said, you play with your balls oh, right. a lot. You remember Forgot that? About that. <laughs> and then Steve Martin says, you know what would make me happy? And John Candy goes, another couple balls and an extra set of fingers. <laughs> it's such an odd thing to complain about. <laughs> it was, but it was worth it for the payoff of that punchline. <laughs> yeah, well, John Hughes started out on uh, National Lampoon, writing for the National Lampoon. Um, so he's got like the comedy chops, I guess. Uh, although not not as much in evidence in some of his other movies. I think maybe when you're doing like teen comedies, it's a it's a different thing anyway. But this is, I think, this one appeals more to adults, well, and teens. I mean, I loved it as a as a teen when I first saw it. So I w I'm just looking. I didn't realize he wrote jokes for Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, there. Well, there. You're right. Like even the even the slapsticky stuff was kind of funny. Like when Steve Martin goes to take a uh, a shower, and then all that's left is a tiny little washcloth to take himself <laughs> yeah. off. Or this is might be the most over the top joke in the movie, but it's still funny when he goes to wash his face or dry his face, and he picks up what he thinks is a towel, and it's John Candy's underwear. Yeah, yeah, that's huge funny. underwear. Right, right. And it's it's not a great joke, but I think the image of that that big pair of underwear makes it funny. Uh, yeah. What what else was? Yeah, it was it was surprising how how much I laughed at this at this point in time because usually, as we've talked about before, comedies don't hold up especially well. Right. Over yeah. time. Uh, but he just went with. I mean, we're talking about ball jokes and stuff, but for the most part, kind of smart humor and it, and. It's a thing I miss about comedies nowadays, where it's um, the humor is all mostly situational or character driven. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like 
they're not going for gross out shit necessarily or or just trying to be uh joke machines punchline machines you know yeah and even that the ball joke i think what makes it so funny is that it's so out of place yeah, no, it, it does. No one's going to guess that he's going to say that. So it's not just a gross-out joke. It's a just a absurd, it's absurd observation right. with, with the payoff. Yeah, but well, what I'm saying uh, about that is they're not writing situations to get to the punchline. Like, the jokes come from the situations right. organically, yeah. you know, which, yeah. yeah, which is, like, Midnight Run is the same kind of thing. I I kind of miss that in comedies. You can talk shit about 80s movies, but there there's some really strong stuff from this era, I feel like. There must be a, a, a recent comedy that has that to it. I, I can't think of it, but I have to think that somebody's making, maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. I liked, uh, what was it called? Obvious Child with, uh, God damn it, I, I'm an idiot. Jenny Slate. Oh, was that good? I haven't seen that yet. She's yeah. very funny. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I love her. The new Jim from The Office is the, the male lead. In that. Yes. I mean, it's not, it's not, uh, laugh out loud funny necessarily but it's it's smarter you know with its comedy how, how was uh did you see the the in a world where uh, yeah I, yeah i saw that i thought it was okay but didn't have that it wasn't as good as because i thought those those two movies came out about the same time and I, they seem kind of similar not in just in tone of trailer tone I guess. yeah i think so i think they were kind of similar in tone it was yeah it was very low-key comedy it definitely wasn't you know gross out humor or anything or or dumb it was just but it was just all right i wouldn't put put uh gross out humor past uh jenny slate no no definitely not um, <laughs> if you listen to her on comedy bang bang or stuff she she is kind of obsessed with uh poop but uh she's still funny about it but you know she i don't think she wrote that movie so oh i thought she did let's find out obvious child all right nope, this, uh, nope. Yeah. yeah i didn't think so um but I think she did do some improv work on it, so um, yeah, yeah. But Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is a great holiday movie. Um, I don't know if there was anything specific you wanted to talk about in it. Uh, I just thought I I think I'd like to go back to watch it for the first time to see how surprised I am by the end because I know I was. I just don't remember how surprised I was. I was shocked by the end where. His, his wife was dead. Sorry. Yeah. Well, and Steve Martin starts putting it all together in his head. Yeah. And they do a pretty good job of setting the clues up during the movie. I, I think the, the the final scene where John Candy says it is a little too... He doesn't have to give that much information, but it's still really, really sweet. And I, I, I think it's hard to watch that without crying. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, like, like I said, it's a pathos that's earned. Although, here's my problem with the movie. The very last scene when, when he yeah, unnecessary. John Candy home. The the most unnecessary thing was like his kids are all like, Daddy, Daddy, yeah, they're excited to see him. His wife acts like he just got back from Vietnam. The dude's yes. only been gone for like two days. And then I'd like you to meet my friend. Hello, Mr. Griffith. <laughs> so yeah, the, <laughs> so odd. Like they had some kind of they were talking to each other the whole time or weird. Yes, I agree that the ending scene was unnecessary. And as I watched it I said this is unnecessary, but oh well. Oh, some of the slapstick, uh, it's a minor quibble because the movie is great. Uh, some of the, another slapstick thing I thought about was, uh, when the, the car burns, um, which was funny. Um, mm-hmm. but then when he goes to give the, uh, motel clerk his credit cards and they're all burned yeah. up like that's, that's dumb. yeah, dumb. 
Uh, but speaking of that scene, the one of the, a very good scene is uh, you're going the wrong way. How do they know where we're going? Yeah. How do they know where we're going, idiots? <laughs> Probably been drinking. Okay, the, thank you. The great another great thing about that scene is uh, they have the they they drive in between the two trucks and it's a crazy, crazy almost accident and their the adrenaline's pumping and the two trucks just keep driving. Yeah. And I think that's similar. I mean, obviously, if that happened in real life, that's not what would happen. But it, sometimes I've had close calls on the road and the other person involved just drives away as if nothing happened. And it's really, I, I think that probably happened has happened to a lot of people. It's the American way. I guess so. Um, yeah, I, I definitely can't recommend this one highly enough if you haven't seen it for a while. I'm sure most people have seen it, but it's worth a rewatch. Yeah, if you haven't ever seen it, sorry for spoiling it, but you'll still love it, so go watch it. Yeah, and don't watch it on like on TV where they cut out all the whole fuck scene because you got to see that. Yeah, I, I don't mean fuck scene as in uh, sex scene. I mean the use of the word fuck by Steve Martin is pretty great. But it's even greater by Eden Clark. Yeah, her, her reaction. She John Hughes must have loved her. I think she was she was in a lot of his stuff. Ferris Bueller, yeah. Was she in any of these other? Two I know. Movies? Now that I think about it, not that I, not that I can remember. Um, all right. Well, you want to take a quick break, and we'll come back and do home for the holidays. Sure. All right. We had a comrade, a brave comrade. He could talk for whole days, but then he. Tried to be a hero Tried talking about Shamiro To computers wearing earphones He almost died for conversation Hallucinations Good vibrations Van Dyke Parks Greyhound Racing Steeplechasing The Reformation Transubstantiation Brian Stoker's creation The land of the Thracians And right back We're back to talk about Home for the Holidays, the reunion between Charles Durning and Austin Pendleton we were all waiting for, but never actually happened on screen. Wait, who's Austin Pendleton? Austin Pendleton was Charles Durning's assistant in the Muppet movie. Oh, wait, he's in this movie? He plays Holly Hunter's boss. No shit, he sure does. Oh, I didn't even... Well, that's we should talk about the cast. That pretty stellar cast in this yeah. movie. And everybody does it. Gr- I mean, the great Charles Durning, always worth watching. Uh, and he's really good in this because it's such a different sort of role. He's very kind of... He's older, so he's a little bit dithering, and it works really well. It does, and he's he's still, like, crotchety, but, but also uh, loving. Like, you know, when he... When he talks to Robert Downey Jr. about his marriage, you know, he's... Yeah, that was really sweet. Yeah. With a movie that's filled with, with all this kind of sharp edges, that was such a nice, like, round edge to, to make you feel good. Yeah, and of course, Holly Hunter, uh, I love her and everything. Yes, he can't do anything wrong. Yeah, she's Holly Hunter, man. Uh, Anne Bancroft, nice to see, uh, in a bra. <laughs> At her age, very cool. Um, Goot, we forgot the Goot's in it. 
Yeah, and he was really, really good in it. Steve Gutenberg does a good job in this fucking movie. It's, yeah. You realize, hey, oh, the dude can actually act. <laughs> I mean, his the, the scene where they arrive at the house, I have to prepare for your brother. I can't get out of the car. It was just so straight on perfect. Yeah, and, and his well, and his 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 barely concealed rage during dinner. Yeah, it's very. Uh, he played it really well. I I thought you know he didn't it wasn't explosive it was all bubbling under the surface but exactly but he you could tell um, Robert Downey Jr. during his difficult uh, life period but he did a really good job too. Apparently he was using heroin during the. During the film, and Holly Hunter, after the filming, wrote him a letter and said, you did an excellent job, but you really can't do that anymore. <laughs> well, he did do an excellent job. I mean, it's it's a, it's a very tough role because it's so kind of over the top. Yes. Um, and apparently, uh, Jodie Foster allowed him to improv, improv some, and that's what brought him back to acting. That's what I read, at least. That he was kind of disillusioned with acting and didn't want to do it anymore, but Jodie Foster offered him the opportunity to play this part and do some improv in the role, and that made him happy. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough balancing act he does because it's just on the edge of being grating and, and being like, ugh, this is too much. He doesn't do quite as well as John Candy, but... No, 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 I know what you're saying, but, but he does a good job. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everybody does. Cynthia Stevenson, who I always like as well. Uh, oh, I love her. She's yeah. not in enough things. The, the, the role she played in happiness was, I seem to remember being similar to this kind of uptight and lost in the world. And I don't think she got enough work over her career because she's a very, very good actress and she could do both drama and, um, comedy, and comedy. Equally no, as well. She's great. And you're right. She hasn't gotten enough work. Um, yeah, no, I, I love her. I always love her performances. Uh, and then, Oh, you know, she was just an episode of Sleepy Hollow. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, she was. She played the uh, the evil uh, the mental home nurse. Yeah. Yeah. The the ghost of, or the demon one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was kind of a waste on her, but she she was great as always. Yeah, I. that's, that's true. I guess, you know, I mean, she... I, I, I hate to say it. I'm not it's not me saying this it's it's me like assuming what Hollywood thinks you know she doesn't have she doesn't have the the lead actress look kind of I guess that they want uh, maybe I that's think why so. she didn't do more but she I think she could do great in character roles anyway like and she still hasn't gotten enough of those no yeah I, I think at some point in her career she got cast typecast as a mother and she couldn't get anything else but Early on, I, I think we've talked about this before, where she had a she started in a talk show that wasn't a talk show. Yes, yes, that and was it, such a funny show, and that's that's where I started loving her. And anytime she she was she she guest starred on Cheers as uh, Norm's assistant who falls in love with Norm, and it was a really funny role. And all over the place, she'd have small roles like that and really hit them out of the park. So it's just too bad she didn't get a chance to have more. I mean, even in this one where she's probably the least likable character in the entire movie she still ends up being a little bit likable relatable at least you could relatable understand where she was coming from yeah but Um, she was she was definitely it was not a likable character yeah no no she was pretty horrible uh so it's about uh the movie's about 
Holly Hunter's character is is going home for Thanksgiving, going to her parents' house, um, and she's just been fired from her job. And uh, her teenage daughter Claire Danes tells her she's not going with her. Um, she tells her right before she leaves, Holly Hunter leaves to get on the airplane that she's going to have sex with her boyfriend for the first time. So uh, Holly Hunter's kind of a mess, and Robert Downey Jr. plays her gay brother, um, who she really wants to come to the to for thanksgiving but doesn't think he is but he does end up showing up and with uh, his his friend uh played by dermot mulrooney dylan mcdermott mulrooney mulrooney <laughs> yeah franken franken dermot uh yeah dylan mcdermott uh not, mulrooney. He, he he's okay he he does what he needs to do in this movie. Uh, yeah. He, he doesn't stand out like a lot of the other actors do. No, um, no. Yeah. Who, who Holly Hunter thinks is, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s new boyfriend. And she's really pissed at, at him. Uh, but it, it's not true. It turns out, uh, well, the, that was the scene that, that was one scene that was very much, wow, how times have changed. Uh, because it, it turns out, uh, unbeknownst to most of the family, Robert Downey Jr. married his boyfriend, Jack. Um, and and Cynthia Stevenson's character is just, like, mortified by that. And she's like, because I guess he did it in Boston. She's like, you know, I know people in Boston. And it's just, you're like, oh, God, this, this is harsh. It's, it's really a... But I guess 95, gay marriage was not really on the agenda. Well, that was when there was a big deal that I think Massachusetts and one other state made it legal, right? Massachusetts and Hawaii. Yeah, probably. Bar- Barney Frank. That makes sense. Uh, that was the beginning of that, and that's, I mean, for 10 years, the conservatives used that as a as a, a point. A to, wedge issue. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's changed into a wedge issue the other way. Right. Yeah, and the, I, I assume Barney Frank was in office then. Uh, and then, of course, in Hawaii, King Kamehameha the gayest of all Hawaiian kings. So it makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and so he brought, uh, Dylan McDermott Mulroney along to, uh, for, for Holly Hunter to kind of play matchmaker with them. And that was the weak link, but we'll talk about it a bit, a bit later to me. The, the, the romance was, the are romance. you talking about the entire, yeah. That was, no, the romance. Yeah. Kind of, kind of took the movie in a direction. I wish it hadn't gone, but I agree. It didn't need to be in the movie at all. No. The, the family dynamic was important enough and, and strong enough that they didn't need anything else in it. Yeah. And and I think they would have been better served instead of using the, the time on the romance to have time to explore the relationship between Holly Hunter and her, her sister. sister. Yeah. So but they didn't uh, have you, a chance to do that. Yeah, you got a good sense of the relationship between Holly Hunter and Robert Downey Jr. and even uh, the parents and the kids for the most part. Um, and Anne Bancroft, I think, did a really good job too because she was kind of like the kvetching Jewish mother, you know, the 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 stereotype of that. Although I don't think she was supposed to be Jewish, but but also uh, loving, you could tell, you know. Yeah, yeah, and also in denial a little bit about her gay son. Yes, and as we said, the scene where Charles Durning finds out that uh, Robert Downey Jr. got married and and his acceptance of it was really nice. Um, yes. Yeah, this super sweet acceptance and the except he talks to the, the husband on the phone and he's, he's 
the way he talks is just really sweet. He's, he, he's like, you, you're stuck with the loser, but I'm glad. But so congratulations. Just, yeah, right. You could have done better. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a very, very tough movie to watch because there's a lot of dra- like family drama, but there's a lot of sweetness too. Yeah. And it's funny. It's funnier than it deserves to be. Yes, it is funny. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. does the classic, come on, get in the car, and then drive away as you <laughs> walk up to it. That, that's never not funny, uh, unless you're the person <laughs> trying to get in the car, uh, and then it's enraging. But And the, the batty aunt who has, has loved her brother-in-law for her entire life. Oh, that was another very awkward scene. Uh, at at Thanksgiving dinner, where she talks about how she fell in love with her sister's husband, Charles Durning, uh, however many years ago, uh, and he kissed her once, and yeah, yeah, she's like the she's like the crazy hippie aunt, um, and just kind of out of her mind. She's not she's not quite all there, uh, but that actress did a good job too with the character. Played by Charlie Chaplin's daughter. Oh no! She, oh, Geraldine Chaplin. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. Uh, well, that makes sense. I don't know why. Well, I think it made sense because she was in a movie with Robert Downey Jr., who played Charlie Chaplin. So it all comes together. Oh, it's all full circle. And uh, and Charles Durning was uh, drinking buddies with Charlie Chaplin, so. They called themselves the Charleses, but uh, they never, they never claimed who was in charge. No, no. I think, I mean, you know, you don't, you don't want to ruin the relationship with that kind of thing, that kind of dynamic. They, they're just the Charleses. They're all on equal footing. Everybody's equal when you're looking at the uh, underside of a shot glass. I think that's a saying. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, a good, uh, sometimes awkward and painful movie about family dynamics. So your your one complaint about it would be the romance? Yes, uh, because, and I'll even say this. Uh, so uh, Dylan, M- Dylan McDermott Mulroney is trying to, uh, trying to get Holly Hunter to date him, and then she's like, no, you know, it's a long-distance thing. And even even at that point, I'm like, okay, this is cool, you know. It's a little, it's a nice little side story. But then at the very end, it turns it it's the thing where she's getting on the plane and he comes on the plane, and, and it's you know, it's way too romantic comedy where it that wasn't the tone of the rest of the movie for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't, I didn't mind the romance as a as a side story as a part of the story, but but it just took it in a direction it didn't need to go, like. I think it would have been better if she would have just left. Yeah. And been, you know, been just wondering what could have been the whole time. But I even found the romance kind of awkwardly shoehorned in. Like, this guy sees a picture, so he runs with Robert Downey Jr. to go for Thanksgiving. It was, it was a little weird. Yeah. No, it, it was. I, I mean, I agree, but I could I could deal with it up to a point. Yeah, I see. Um, but to, to do that kind of thing seemed kind of cheap. Uh, at the end, and then, and it kind of, it kind of brought down what should have been like poignant, the poignant like uh, montage at the end of all the the right, scenes right. and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that montage was pretty fun. 
Yeah, and it would have been much better without the tacked-on uh, romantic ending. Wait, so Jodie Foster directed this, and she didn't direct another movie for like 10, 10 years or almost 10 years. I wonder what happened to make her stop wanting to do movies. Yeah, no, she didn't direct another one until Scary Movie 3, I believe. Uh, well, 2. Oh, 2. Well, she did that uncredited, but 3 was the first she did credited. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and then, of course, uh, The Beaver with Mel Gibson. So that's that's what I'm thinking it is. That is. I've never seen it, but it's a it's Leave it to Beaver set, like a dark, dark version of Leave it to Beaver. Yeah, dark version of Leave it to Beaver where it's just called the Beaver and he uh, it, the Beaver is his serial killer code name in the movie. They're trying to catch him throughout the whole thing. And really, who better to play that than Mel Gibson? Yeah, I, I wondered. I just it's weird that she did a good job with Home for the Holidays. There's no problems with it. No, there's not. There's there's a lot of uh, Altman-esque uh, talking over each other at yes. the dinner table. Yes. And a very good job done with making the, the daughter from uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles be annoying, dancing around and talking. Jesus Christ, I wanted to slap that little girl. Yeah. <laughs> Don't holler at my daughter. <laughs> yeah. It just... Can you shut the fuck up? I can't even remember what Holly Hunter says. She doesn't say it's not that harsh, but she's, no, but yeah. it's pretty harsh. Uh, deservedly so, yeah. And and Cynthia Stevenson's character just just super uptight and feels like she has to keep everything together. Um, and she's pretty harsh with Holly Hunter too. Yeah. In that in that scene where Holly Hunter confronts her when she's working out in her basement, because um, she says something like, uh, "If." If I met you on the street and you gave me your phone number, I'd throw it away. Yes, very harsh. Like, and then she's harsh on herself when when Holly Hunter's about to leave. She's like, "Let me go. This is the the. Let me get back to exercise. It's the one thing in my day I enjoy." Yeah, and then you can see after Holly Hunter leaves that um, she's she's feeling something and thinking about you know their relationship for right. a moment, and then she just goes back to exercising and and putting it out of her mind. Yeah, yeah, really good job. By oh, another uh, quick cameo was David Strathen. I forget. Yes, that. as the as the saddest sad sack, sad sack on film. Yeah, <laughs> he's talking about like all these people in his family who've died over the past year or so or whatever, and all this all this horrible tragedy in his life. And, and Holly Hunter, I guess it was a former love of Holly Hunter. Yes, or maybe some high school boyfriend or something. Yeah. Short term, whatever it was, and she's like, "Well, last time I talked to her, trying to make it light, I heard you had a girlfriend. Well, she married my best friend. <laughs> there is no saving that conversation. There was no, she even says at the end, well, maybe it'll get better next year. And he's like, yeah, or maybe worse. <laughs> <laughs> you're like oh he's so, one of those he owns the business and he works for his workers on thanksgiving because he has nothing else to do right <laughs> seemed like a nice guy yeah no he, he does seem like a nice guy he seems like a guy who could snap at any moment <laughs> how about those panthers <laughs> yeah I, I uh i like i said the the romantic element uh was was a side road they didn't need to drive down um but overall a a solid movie i would say yeah I, it's we, it's a shame that we're comparing it to planes trains and automobiles because planes trains and automobiles is is far far superior we don't like to 
to really do uh, which is better, but planes, trains, and better. Uh, planes, trains, and automobiles wins. By oh yeah, it it definitely wins. But 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 uh, I would say uh, Home for the Holidays is worth seeing. Yeah. Oh, of course. But if you had to choose between the two, you'd choose planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah. The one thing I was thinking as I watched this, and it's only '95, so it's it's it, it's glaring and it's so recent. The, the t- Robert Downey Jr. smoking in the house, and everybody's smoking in the house, and it's no big deal. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, and Bancroft smoking those extra long cigarettes that are like <laughs> two feet long. And I guess thinking back to '95, it was the end of that. So I mean, it wasn't. It's in the movie, and it was happening in real life, but it was starting to not happen as often. People right. start to smoke outside. Yes, no, it's true. I I smoke outside. Um, although we were living in an apartment. Uh, yeah. Oh, this was back a ways. Um, probably early early two thousands. Um, and we did smoke in that apartment. Uh, but then uh, so our neighbors came up one night, and they're like. Hey, uh, can you stop? Maybe can you maybe go outside to smoke? Um, because you know it's going through the vents, and we're trying to have a baby. You know, we're trying to we're trying to get pregnant. I was like, okay. I mean, I I don't mind smoking outside, but basically you're just telling me you're fucking. So you want <laughs> us to go outside? Like, you don't need to add that we're trying to have a baby bullshit. <laughs> just say the, the shit's going through the vent, and it's annoying. Like. Yeah, it's it. They don't want the during conception to have any smoke in their room. <laughs> that's that's. I think it was just an added thing they thought might have it make us take pity on them or something. <laughs> well, it worked. But, yeah. Well, well, yeah. It worked. It worked more than I was like. All right, let's not have smoke going through the vent to these people. That that would be annoying. But yeah, and I, I mean, I'm sure if you'd known that before when you were smoking, you probably wouldn't have done it. Right. So no. Exactly. That was enough. Yeah. Yeah, idiots. And that baby is now the president of the United States. It sure is. Michelle Obama. Uh, the the one the one note I wrote down, which was, uh, like I told you on the break, I think, uh, just just kind of a how times have changed thing was uh, Charles Durning sitting there watching TV, and Holly Hunter comes oh, in and she goes, "Enormous <laughs> TV, and it's tiny." Compared to today, I didn't write anything down, but that it was something I thought I should mention during this episode. During the episode, so I'm glad you did write it down. Yeah, it was probably I don't know, 27 inch TV or something. Enormous TV, and his response is, "Yeah, too big." Yeah, I don't know if he it was. I was supposed to be a joke, or that was a big TV. I think it was a big TV for the for the time. Um, yeah, that was a tiny little thing. I remember I went to a uh, a mutual friend of ours' house long ago, uh, man, probably 2000, 2001, and uh, and uh, she had a her husband was like super rich, and uh, they had like this flat screen TV mounted mounted in the wall, and I was like, holy shit, that's amazing. Uh, where now it's you know it's just kind of standard, but like it was a a huge flat screen and I, I was like, Oh man, this is how the other half lives. <laughs> and now it's the other half that uh, lives in poverty that has those. So anyway, yeah, that, uh, home for the holidays, not planes, trains and automobiles, as you said, but, uh, for, if you're going to do a Thanksgiving marathon, you can do these two movies and, you know, maybe throw in Thanksgiving if you feel like it. 
And the beaver. Why not? Go with little man. Go with little man Tate too. Little man Tate, and uh, and then maybe Nell. Just get the full Jody Foster experience. Nell and Taxi Driver. There, we've just given you your entire Thanksgiving day. Make sure the kids are around for Taxi Driver. For sure. Uh, but not President Reagan. We need to do Taxi Driver sometime. You know what would be a good one? They're not that far apart, but uh, Taxi Driver and King of Comedy, which are kind yeah. of the same thing. Kind of the same movie, but uh, but different enough. Yeah, we should do, let's plan that. Taxi Driver versus King of Comedy. It's a little on the nose, but yeah, that would be fun. It it is very on the nose, but I don't mind doing two Scorsese movies since it is Scorsese. And I, I mean, I, he he specifically did that as a response to Taxi Driver, right? Is, am I right? In, I have I no idea. I'm pretty sure he did, but anyway, that would be fun. I've never watched them in like close proximity to each other. I think no, I saw me either. Taxi I, Driver years before, and I saw King of Comedy. And King of Comedy is probably Jerry Lewis's best acting job, aside from the the clown concentration camp movie. Yeah. Well, we'll have to ask Harry Shearer about that, but uh, yeah, it's I find King of Comedy more painful to watch than Taxi Driver. I have to say, um, but yeah, we'll talk about that when we do that episode. That's and Taxi more. Driver didn't produce an REM song. Oh, that's true. No, it did not. Uh, although, who knows? Maybe Sitting Still is about Taxi Driver. I can't figure out what the hell <laughs> he's singing. Is. And King of Comedy didn't produce a, a long-running sitcom with Andy Kaufman, so... Yeah, true. Recommendations, Asians, 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 Asians. Asians. Uh, uh, oh, I forgot mine, so why don't you go? I'm going to recommend, I don't think I've recommended this already, a new sitcom that started a couple months ago called Benched. It has Jay Harrington from, uh, what's the name of that show? Ted, The World... I forget. It was the Office sitcom. It didn't last very long. It's also really good, and I should recommend that sometime. But this time I recommend Bench. It has Oscar from The Office and Liza Coop from uh, Happy Endings. And it's just about – it's kind of a stupid setup, but the actors are good enough to carry it. It's She worked for a high-end law firm and got fired for stupid reasons, and she's ended up working in the public defender's office. So it's it's fun. I can't remember if you've recommended that or not. I know you've told me about it. Uh Better Off Ted, I think, was the name of the show. That's, that's it. That was a good show. It's too bad it didn't last. I'm going to recommend... Uh, you know what? I'll take the one you said you were going to say, but you didn't say. Uh, Seven Samurai. Great movie. Kurosawa. Great movie. Intermission in the middle, even on Blu-ray. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, you can... I've, I've seen that a few times, and I think each time I see it, it's a different version. There's like a... A two-hour version that was cut up real bad, and then yeah, fuck that. No, you got another get the... version. But I, I don't know who's doing all the cutting up. I, because it's not like the two-hour version was was uh, dubbed. It was subtitled. So I, so what's the one that the Blu-ray? What's the official version? How long is that? Four Cri- or five hours. Criterion Collection, three and a half hours. Three and a half. Uh, okay, that's yeah. not bad. No, it's and it, it's a three and a half hours. It goes by pretty fast because it's a pretty action-packed movie. Yes, it is. Or if you don't feel like watching a movie with subtitles, just watch The Magnificent Seven, which isn't as good. Not nearly as good, yeah. Uh, the Yeah, taken directly from Seven Samurai. Um, as or was, watch Bugs Life. 
Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, as was Bugs Life. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> Taken directly from it. Uh, starring the great Jerry Seinfeld as a bee. Yep. One of his greatest jobs. Jer- the only movie I've seen that have has both Jerry Seinfeld and Woody Allen in it. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that's a little... That's a little uh, too much New York Jewiness for one movie. I mean, Woody Allen by himself in anything is a little too more, too much New York Jewiness. But I usually say him by himself is too much molestation, but to each his own. Yeah, well, I, I I'm coming at it from my my racist uh, standpoint, and you're coming at it more from a. Uh, a humanitarian standpoint, but that's usually the way these things go. I've never been a fan of Woody Allen's movies. I, I don't know what it is. People love him. I I think he's. You don't think it's your anti-Semitism? Maybe partly. That, that's another thing. Well, I, we won't go Wait, into it do, too much. Do, I, sorry, I don't understand anti-Semitism and the roots of it. Like I've, I've even like looked up, you know, kind of studied it. Like why was. Why was there anti-Semitism? It seems so fucking weird to me. But I still don't really get it. But anyway. Yeah. I don't get it. But so even like the silly early 70s stuff that's just screwball comedies, you don't like. You don't even like those? I liked them when I was a kid. Like when, when I would see them on, on cable when I was like 10, I thought, uh-huh. you know, Bananas was was good. And and uh, what's the one he did where it was like some old Japanese movie and he just dubbed it? What's up, tar- Tiger Lily? Yeah, what's up, Tiger Lily? I liked. Um, I never saw. I don't think I've ever seen any of his movies aside from a few modern ones. Like I saw, I really saw. I saw and really loved Sweet and Low Down. And I've never I was, seen that one. Yeah, that's really good. It's, I, I think it's different than most of his movies too because it's, it's not set. It's, it's. I guess they, there's a few that are set in the past. And I think the ones I've seen that are set in the past are actually better than his modern ones. And he also has the one, the Radio Times. I think Radio Days. Something Radio like Days. That. Yeah. That's pretty good too, With but yeah, I have Seth Green. Is, I don't think there's anything but a young Seth Green. He's never going to grow old. That's true. He's still he's like a little leprechaun, even on Dad's his finest work. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I don't know what it is. It's something about maybe it's just the ones I've seen. I, I but I haven't I haven't cared for Woody Allen's stuff. And it always makes me feel like there's something I'm missing personally that that I'm not connecting with this work. But eh, whatever, who cares? And the reason you recommended Seven Samurai is because I just got Yojimbo and another movie on Sanjiro. Sanjiro, a Criterion Collection, because there was a big sale Barnes and Noble, and I took advantage of it. Yeah, you should watch. I haven't seen Sanjiro. You should watch Yojimbo. It's it's pretty good. And Yojimbo's been Oh, Yojimbo was based on, uh, what you call it? Uh, ants. H- Hammett. Well, by way of ants, was based on Dashiell Hammett's books, I believe. Oh, no shit. I did not know that. That was a terrible Johnny Carson impression I just did. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's good, and it's, a, and it's one of the shorter Kurosawa movies, too. He does tend to go for epic length on his stuff, but I think it's only like an hour and a half long, so... I'm trying to think. I've seen a lot of his movies, and I liked them all. I, don't, I just don't think I've seen a majority of them. I don't know how many he ended up doing. I saw Rashomon, Seven Samurai, and Hidden Hidden Fortress, and I think that might be it. The basis for Star Wars. That's true. I'm not making that up. No. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've seen a bunch. Uh, Ikiru is probably my favorite, but I'll save that for a recommendation another day. All right, um, next episode I think we're going to do uh, another kind of uh, half-assed one about uh, TV. Yeah, we're going to look back on the TV ep- the TV series that came out and just this year and, and what we th- th- think of them at the halfway point. Yeah. And then we'll look at, ahead at the shows that are coming out next. The mid-season next shows. Next year, mid-season show, yeah. Yeah. And if you can convince her, maybe Viv will come back for that. Oh, yeah. I'll talk to her. She probably won't. She really doesn't care for me. Well, and she cares for me less. True. Uh, all right. Uh, oh, uh, write to us at popculturecontinuum at gmail.com. Uh, rate like us, us highly on... on iTunes. Like us on Facebook. And that's it. And uh, just tell all your friends about our show and tell them if they don't listen, they're not cool like you are. It's true. We are... I, I would like to say that we are the serial of unpopular podcasts. Or uh, or even... I, I would describe us as a goodwill hunting for the 90s. So, do with that what you will. Have you listened to Serial? Yeah, yeah, I have. It's it's fine. Like uh, I don't I don't really I mean, I kind of get it, but but the extent to which it's like permeated the culture and people just go nuts for it like at work uh every week now they're having meetings to discuss the latest episode of Serial. And there are several podcasts about about cereal. cereal yeah, um, it, it's you know it's interesting. I think that it's not going to go anywhere. We're not going to get any answers, any definitive answers from it. And um, to me, it's more just a, an indictment of the criminal justice system than it is like, oh, how's this mystery going to be solved? Did this guy really do it? Because I don't think that's in the cards. But well, to me, it sounds like the Woody Allen podcasts. It kind of is the Woody Allen of podcasts. Um, yeah, no, it it's have you you haven't listened to it? No, it's okay. I mean, honestly, I I enjoy Doug Loves Movies more as a podcast, you know. But well, I was going to ask, is Scott Ackerman involved in Serial? He's got to be in some way at this point. Oh, okay, then I'll listen to it. Otherwise, fuck it. All right. Uh, well, I guess that that'll take care of it for now. So uh, until next time, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. At the 599 buffet And we know on Thanksgiving Day Nobody seemed to care Why anyone else was there Me and my buddy Jay Watched back cover bands play Got little drinks for free Kept bidding on 20 
this is true Some of this is better